Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. up this morning looking for my shoes look behind the trunk found the hesitation blues lordy tell me how long lordy tell me how long will i have to wait will i have to wait can i get you now can i get you now must i hesitate Blues overtake me, rock away from here Lordy, tell me how long Lordy, tell me how long Will I have to wait? Will I have to wait? Can I get you now? Can I get you now? Must I hesitate? Now, 
now, Nick, are you are you almost there? Oh, he's got this little pin for his cell phone. He's so modern now. Hold on, he's gonna he's gonna call to speak to the host. Anyways, but we're really excited to have this because we got Joel D. Winecoop on, and Joel D. Winecoop is actually like a fan favorite. And I love having Joel D. Winecoop on the show because he's so full of energy. Oh, Nick's running off. Wouldn't you agree, Nick? Yeah, 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 I would agree. I just got to the phone. I didn't hear you said I agree with just about anything you say, Francie. What what, what did you say again, though? <laughs> I, I said we love having Joel D. Winecoop on because one thing to know about Joel, Joel D. Winecoop is he is yep. so full of energy. Yes, he is. And he is. So, okay, we do already have callers, and uh, what they don't know is that we have an intern now. Do you have ring around the callers? Yeah. That'll make me honorary, boo-boo. You better recognize your phone's ringing. All right, she told me 908, you're live. Is that me? That is John Link. Hold on, John Link. I got yeah, another one. Me, me. It's me. That's yeah. about me. I'm on the You better hear this now. Your phone's ringing. Now we have 813. Hold on. 813, is this Joel? This Joel. How you doing, Francine? I'm doing good, man. It's been a little while. It has been a while. Yeah, we're and we're trying to revamp the show. Uh, John Link is here, and also Thank Nicholas you. Grabowski is on the air. Hi, With John. You. Hi, Nick. Hello. Hello. How you guys doing? We're doing. We're doing awesome. And um, John, how are you doing? Me, I'm doing well. Oh, good. Now, there is, I, I read, you know, me and you, we've talked before doing the show, and there are certain things that you wanted to talk about. And when you gave me this list, I'm like, oh, when do you have time to read? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to keep as busy as I can. Yeah. Because you're doing so much right now, like everything. Like your hands are in so many projects, and I'm sitting here, and I'm just like, does he sleep? <laughs> and please don't take that sleep medication that Roseanne took. <laughs> I will not. Okay. So uh, you and... Uh, you and Tim, you guys have teamed up again. Yes. And well, you guys are doing a lot. Um, I believe, uh, what is it, uh, Tim Ritter, you have... 
Yeah, we just finished up doing um, Truth or Dare 5 uh, with Tim Ritter and also Scott Tepperman and Jim O'Rear. I think you're breaking up a little bit, Joel. Yeah, I was kind of bad right there for a minute. So, uh, truth or dare, this is the fifth, the fifth movie in the Hutch series, right? Wow, that is something. Um, truth or dare, five I dare do is part five. The one we're doing now has is just a standalone, like 25-minute short that's going to be part of the Joel D. action pack, which includes um, Hammer, Greg, and Dakota, and then Hess will be the fourth one added to it. Wow. So, <laughs> I think that's great that you guys are able to do this and keep this thing going, because it, it seems like it's more of a cult classic, because a lot of people are really, like, latching onto this. Hmm. Well, I mean, it really does have, like, a little following through the air and has for a long time. I just did a show where I was talking about how, uh, like, college professors and stuff made it part of their uh, regimen in the uh, in the classroom where kids had to, like, take the whole movie apart or the psychology part of it. And then I think part of it was, you know, it was shot, of course, in the Palm Beaches, and but it was you know it was this thing that came out at the time that everybody was interested in, and then it picked up for its you know following with like Elijah Wood coming out and all the talk shows talk about you know that's his favorite horror movie, and you know and then of course there was just that Bloomhouse Truth of Air you got Madonna's Truth of Air but you know Tim started this way back uh, in '85. And then and then not to mention the Truth of Dare you used to play as a teenager. In the back yeah, well, of their yeah, roller skates. Yeah, and uh, Tim and I have always said that. So when people go, oh, you didn't invent it. I go, we know we didn't invent it, man. It's just it's something, truth and error, was just taken from, you know, a kid's game. Um, Tim played it when he was a kid. But the whole the whole premise behind it is that we, you know, took it, you know, a child's game and turned it into a movie. And I think everybody can agree that we were the first ones to do that by, you know, making a movie out of it. In fact, which was kind of cool, we were pretty much credited for the whole you know, the whole thing with um, getting, uh, uh, like, like the first to go with um, to, to VHS and, and uh, to, to, to DVD uh, straight to, you know, to straight to market. And one of the movies was Truth or Dare. It was actually one of those credited for it. Oh, nice. So that, that actually is a really big honor to have that. Yeah, it's not like it does. It's not like it's, it's not like somebody shows up at your house and goes, "Yeah, you guys are being credited. Here's a million dollars." It's just something somebody <laughs> said in an article, and then they they went back to the to that time and age when the video market was opening, and and Tim and I are kind of credited for getting that whole um, getting the whole ball rolling for a lot of the independent filmmakers doing um, doing their movies and releasing their movies, and we were one of the first ones to really you know, direct market it to video, and that was back in, 
actually 84, Twisted Illusions, and Blood Cult's in there with us, too, and then Truth of Air uh, was right out after that, after um, that, but I think it really led back to even Twisted Illusions being really the first one that, you know, got out there into the video market. And we're still doing it today, you know, there's a lot, of, I mean, everybody with a camera now is shooting a movie and doing stuff, which is cool, neat to see everybody doing it, but it's like you get, you get mixed in with, um, so many others that it's it's hard for you to stand out now because everybody's trying to do something. Well, let's do something more bloody and let's do something more graphic and to beat everybody. And uh, you know, to me, I'm kind of like I'm I'm not kind of like oh, I just want to be shocked and I want to make it just bloody and gory and you know, and I don't care. I'd rather do I kind of want to do a cool little story that someone will pay attention to and they'll like it and enjoy it without trying to you know just say okay, this is the part where the driller drills the person's face off and then starts eating his brains and then guts come out of his ears and then a, no, a whole body grows into an organism of tissue and, you know, and there's room for that too. But I, I kind of like, sometimes it's like you kind of want to bring the story back to some of the, uh, instead of just someone walking in, lay her down on the operating table. Okay, let's look in between her legs and cut her breasts off and then put this mouth up inside of her and, open her mouth really wide and let the dentist climb in there. And, and then it's 90 minutes of someone's face being taken apart. I, I don't really care. You know, I, I kind of want to see a story. Yeah. Going with it. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of the eighties movies were like about, you know, you're, you're watching it. You love it. You're like, Oh yeah. You know, he cuts the arm off. The blood splats out. It splats onto the person's face. And you're just like, Oh I think you're absolutely right. I think it does need more of a storyline now. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we did that with all our movies, too, but it wasn't, you know, it's like it was enough that we had the girl climb up to the eyepiece and look through the eyepiece and Strawber's outside with the drill and he drills it through the eyepiece into her eye. And it's, yeah, it's the gore factor <laughs> in the blood and, 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 the, and the girls, of course, and that's what, you know, everybody was like, that's what it was about, to, to sell your movie and stuff like I'm like to the extent I don't have to go beyond that where, you know, you know, okay, this guy's going to climb up inside this woman between her legs and come out of her mouth. I, you know, I don't need to do that. <laughs> I just, I just want to do a little cool movie that someone will watch and go, Hey, this is pretty cool. And, but I'm also about, I want to do the acting. I, I, I want to, when I, when I do it, I want someone to look at my acting too and say, Hey, it's pretty cool. It's different from the, the last thing he did. And you want people to laugh and cry and not just that gore, but you want them to be able to say, you know, look what you can walk away with this thing. Uh, did you like, you know, did you like this part of it? Did you like the acting? Did you like the storyline? Did you like the effects? You know, a little bit of everything in it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's actually pretty important, too. Yeah, because, you know, if you you got to be drawn in. you got to be drawn into the actor. you got to be drawn into the character. And you're you're absolutely right. And... Yeah, I like your opinion very much. Thank you, Francie. Thank you. Oh, I mean, I, I'm um, all about, I, mean I, just, I just want to make something that's going to entertain you for 20 minutes or an hour or whatever it might be. That's all. I'm not trying to make, you know, a Spike Lee movie or something. I just want to make something that someone's going to maybe they'll laugh at and they'll go, oh, that was kind of cool or, you know, something like that. That's all. I'm not I'm not trying to make, you know, you know. Make make a new car or something. I just want to make something that somebody can have some fun with. That's all. Yeah, and uh, wow, you're deep. 
And, and I want to have okay. a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> there you go. Speaking of fun, okay, I got to know, because you do work with a lot of people that you have worked with for years, like Tim Ritter yep. and all of those guys. I know that when all of you guys are on the on the set, because I watch the YouTube videos, you guys love playing practical jokes on each other, especially when you're really good friends with each other. Come yeah. on, what's the best practical joke that has ever happened on the set? Uh, <laughs> I just turned it on and told it on another show, and it is probably the best. That was on Herschel Gordon Lewis's The Uh-Oh Show. Wait, say that again? Um, on Herschel Gordon Lewis's The Uh-Oh Show. Uh-oh. 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 That, that was probably the best. I was um, on the set, and I was coming around a corner where we had our catering, our food catering, and Herschel was coming around another corner. He's coming out of the room where they were planning this whole thing, and Herschel said, Oh, Joel. We are going to play a joke on Andrew, and and I stopped him right there, and I go, Herschel, you got to let me in on this, man, because I'm the king of this kind of stuff. And he goes, okay, well, you just you just pop in there when you feel like it. And I go, don't worry, I will. And we went into the room, and I tell a story. I said there was 300, and Andrew was always like, there was not 300, there was like 80. So I'll say there's 100 people, but it's the cast, the crew, yeah, you know, Friends of the cast, friends of the crew, extras were all in the big, giant, huge warehouse room where we had the big uh-oh show wheel up on stage. And Herschel, Herschel yells at the cameraman. He goes, and basically something like uh, to the extent of, you know, what's going on? Why is this taking so long? And then the cameraman is yelling back like something like, you know, the old man, don't you yell at me. And then Andrew is like, hey, don't talk to Herschel Gordon Lewis like that. And he's like, can we just get started? And the cameraman's going, it's your fault, I can't get going. And then I said, what a better time to jump in here and scream, this sucks, this would never happen on a Tim Ritter set. And the producer, he was like, he almost blew up on stage, and he looked at me, and he goes, Joel, stay out of this. And I go, you stay out of it. This never would happen on a Tim Ritter set. Tim Ritter knows how to control a set. First of all, obviously, you don't know what you're doing. And he was like, you come with me right now. And he grabbed me by the arm, and I go, get your, get your hands off of me. And he goes, you're in so much trouble, you don't even know it. And he started dragging me through the crowd, and I was going, Tim Ritter rules, Tim Ritter rules. And everybody whipped their phones out, and they were all videotaping it. And he, Andrew's pulling me through the crowd, and he's like, you're in so much trouble when we get to my office. And he's yanking me through the crowd, and I yank my arm away, and I go, get your hands off of me, man. Because I'll, I'll take it to the furthest extent. <laughs> and then he grabbed me again, and he got me to the back door, and Herschel was yelling. He's going, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. And Andrew stops, and he goes, what, Herschel? And Andrew looks at him and goes, April Fool's. And everybody started laughing. And then nobody was in on it. They just they, they all thought I was crazy. And then he looked at me, and he goes, you're the best fucking actor in the world. <laughs> and Got a big laugh out of it, every, and then everybody was like, "We thought you were crazy, man." <laughs> and one of my buddies, um, Jack Amos, that played Gertie in The Hundred Cheers, he came up to me later. He goes, "Coop, I thought you lost it, man." He goes, "I was getting ready to walk out the door because I said, oh, boy, everything ends right here. The wine coop's gone. He's lost it.'" <laughs> and everybody, everybody around me was coming up to me, and they're going, 
dude, dude, I filmed all that. I thought that was for real. I thought you were having like a mental spastic breakdown. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I, I wish I wish somebody would come forward with some of that video because everybody had their phones out taping it. I don't know why would somebody not hang on to this footage and put it somewhere because it was really funny. That's probably the best joke yeah, I've ever had. It's gone yeah. totally viral on YouTube. Joel D. Winecoops yeah, goes yeah. mad. Winecoops <laughs> loses it. Yeah. Joel, <laughs> truth or dare, <laughs> you know. That that's great, actually. And that's why we I mean, love you is... here on Friends and Friends because there's never a dull moment with Joel D. Winecoop. <laughs> So that was a that that was fun and it was a fun and it was neat working for Herschel Gordon Lewis. I I was telling the other guys too. I said uh, I was looking at a script and I was like, do I dare change the do I dare change, dare change the dialogue of Herschel Gordon Lewis, the Godfather of Gore? Do I dare start rewriting his script? And I said, well, if I just change this and this and paraphrase this and move this here and move that back down there and flip this over here and brought that down and put my stuff in and that and move that over and move that up. So then I was like, okay, now i got to tell Herschel I did that. So I came around, and this is a separate day. I come around the corner, and I go, Herschel. And this was afterwards. I kept calling him, you know, Mr. Lewis for the first day when he came up. He grabbed me, and he goes, I'm not Mr. Lewis. I'm Herschel. Because you call me Herschel. I go, okay. So... This particular day, I came around the corner, and I said, um, Herschel, I just want to ask you something really quick. And he goes, yes, Mr. Weinkoop. I go, I, um, in that long speech, um, I kind of rewrote your dialogue. And he goes, Mr. Weinkoop, are you telling me that you rewrote my dialogue? And I go, well, sir, only Stanton. <laughs> and he goes, he, he says, we shall see how it goes, Mr. Weinkoop. We shall see how it goes. And I got up and did it. He loved it. In fact, um, Chris DeGrotti was in sitting right next to Herschel when I did it, because the first one, we weren't rolling camera, and Chris DeGrotti's the one goes, that, that yells, that was fucking awesome, Joel! And then Herschel <laughs> goes, I can sit with the young lady, and they clap, and he goes, what, please tell me somebody taped that, and we were like, uh, they were, or they were like, no, and he goes, can you do that again? And I go, you bet, I can do it again, and I'll do it even better for you. And I did, and, and he loved it. And then he pulled me aside, and he goes, I want you to know something, Mr. Weinkoop. You are the only one that is allowed to touch my dialogue. That was great. So what a nice. cool guy to work for. Yeah. And now now, and now I'm working with another um, guy uh, uh, from that kind of age, uh, William Graface, that did Stanley and Mako Jaws of Death and the Black Tar 2 and and um, all those movies from back in the day. Now I'm, I worked on with him one, one called Sums, and uh, that's being put together now too. So really two cool icons to work for, Herschel Gordon Lewis and then William Griffey. So, you know, it's, it's been a long time with, a, you know, a, a long time of stuff being able to work with a lot of people. Working with Tim Ritter again, he just wrote the, the head script for me. He wrote two of them, and one was like um, – one was the first one he wrote me was really cool, and I told him, I go, man, I go, this is Truth and Air Part 6, just expand it. It's so cool, I don't want to do it as a short. And so he wrote another one, and there were some things I wanted to change, and so we spent four hours on the phone one night, over the phone, just me kind of giving him my notes and him rewriting it, and, and I got that, and we shoot that next Saturday and Sunday. It's uh, Tim Ritter's Hess, and it's the Dan Hess nice. from the Truth and Air movie. Yeah. 
but that'll be kind of cool. And then I'm the reason I did that, I had three other shorts that have all been to film festivals and stuff. But I was like, I told uh, Marcus Kempton, one of the producers, I said, I'd like to take all of these, which is a movie I um, I wrote and um, starred in, and Kathy got like a second uh, or best actress for it, my wife Kathy, was a movie, a short called Battle Suit. So I'm taking Battle Suit and then one of Marcus's movies, Peace, Love, Unity, Revenge, which I call Hammer. That's the character I play, kind of like from The Expendables. And then that's going to be in it. Dakota will be in it. And um, let's see, who else is there? Uh, well, the Hess is going to be added to it. And so it'll be four four characters from four of my movies in the past. It'll be, yeah, the, the Battle Suit one. Nakota's from um, Lost Faith and then um, of course Hess will be in it and for the life of me I can't remember the fourth character but they're all they're all characters from some of my other movies and I want to put that in a thing called the Joel Wank of Action Pack so we'll be working on that next week with um, uh, my uh, camera guys Warner Jock and uh, Marcus Kempton will be directing it and we got a lot of I got a lot lot of actors picked out that I've used in the past I just kind of handpick him. James Knowlton, he's worked on, I don't know, five, six, seven movies with me, plus my television show. And um, Russ Isles, uh, he worked with me on uh, Battlesuit, so he's going to be coming back. And uh, uh, Walter Maceda, who worked on a bunch of movies with me. And uh, just pulling back, pulling all these actors in that either they're truth or they're related or I've worked with them and know how they work and pulling them back in to, to do this to get it complete. And not to mention, like Kathy and I both finished our scenes in, in uh, Chris Wood's, um Death Scored Service 3, Taste Me. And then the, I was just signing covers for Sean Donahue for the other first German cut of um, Death Scored, the first one. And then we just finished Tales for the Midnight Hour and Earth Girls Are Sleazy. And... Uh, so just keeping, you know, wow. super busy with the, the movies coming down the line. And like, like Animator, I finished that. And Necroplasmic Nightmare is getting ready to go. And and then all Todd Sheets' um, Clownado, I got the hero role in that. So that's really cool. And, uh, yeah, you, you just keep doing as much as you can to wow. you know, keep your name out there and keep busy. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm looking at all I'm, – I'm listening to all that, and I'm just tired – I mean – there's only 24 hours in a day, Joe. <laughs> well, what are you? When do you sleep? <laughs> well, then there's other. I, mean, funny, I you know? mean, you you have to be honestly. You have to be the hardest working man in show business today. Like, did you ever think in a million years? Because I know that your father bought you your first camera, and in fact, John Ritter—I'm not John Ritter—I'm sorry, Tim Ritter. Habit, yeah. you know the name. But Tim Ritter, you guys kind of grew up together, and you guys were filming. Did you ever think, when you got that camera, that today in 2018 you're going to be mentioning all those projects? Now I say it all the time. I go a long time ago when we were doing. We were just doing um, uh, Twisted Illusions, and I thought, yeah, by this time, in a couple of weeks, they'll be walking through there, because we, every Saturday we go to the um, the West Palm Beach Flea Market or in Riviera Beach, and I'm like, yeah, I'll be walking through here, people will be recognizing me, and, and it never happened, and then 
and then um, I think Truth or Dare happened, and still nothing. And then it just became it just became like, oh yeah, I'm doing these movies, and then all of a sudden it's now it's like almost 155 movies later, and I'm going, wow, look at all the crap I've done, and since 19 the 70s, 70s, you know, for Super 8, doing my Super 8 movies, but. In 84 was really when Tim and I hooked up to do Twisted Illusions. But I'm looking back at, like, 35 years, you know, doing all this stuff. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll always say, too bad the money's not there because it, it it's rough because you try and get what you want for an actor. But, you know, when a, when a working actor is, like, you know, saying, well, I need 300 a day, there's 50 other actors that will tell the same producer. They'll just go, well, I'll do it for free. And so you're competing yeah. about, against all the actors that will just go ahead and do it for free. So yeah, because they want the resume built. Yeah, because they're all like, why should I hire? Why should I get you to do it when I can get this guy down the street? He'll do it for free. I'm like, oh, yeah. well, the guy down the street hasn't done as much as me, but other than that, you know, if this, it just depends. And so you just get out there and, and do the best you can, and say, well, I hope this means something to somebody, and they'll want to, um, they'll want to contact me and. Like, for a lot of my movies, though, they have, like, um, Jason Stevenson in Minnesota for his movie Strip Club Splasher, of all places, it was my face when there was no Facebook. He contacted me, and he goes, man, he goes, I, I watched your movies when I was in high school. I'd love to put you in a movie of mine. Wow. That's why I started making movies. So he flew me to Minnesota, and we shot in Minnesota, and we shot in Wisconsin for Strip Club Splasher, and then Cameron Scott. He got in touch with me, wanted me from post-mortem to go to Indiana and shoot that. And it's just, it, it was Great guy, the by the way. What's that? Cameron Scott, very good guy. Yeah, Cameron's cool. And, he, and he, he called me up, you know, just like that. And he was like, I really want to put you in this movie, post-mortem. And I was cool. So we made a deal. And the next thing I knew, I flew flying to Indiana. And then, and so, yeah, so it's cool. And, uh. Like when um, the first script for Truth or Dare Part 5 was written, I'm not saying it was bad. Um, Tim wrote it, sent it to me, but I kind of just didn't, I didn't, there was nothing in there that I really was like uh, really overly excited about. And I told Tim that, you know, I did bounce back around the, you know, the bushes explaining, and, you know, but Tim and I, we know each other well enough to say things. It's like one time he told me, he called me up and he said, he goes, hey, Joel, he goes, I got to tell you something. I don't know how to tell you. And I go, oh, man, just tell me. He goes, oh, no, it's kind of weird, man. I'm going to be telling you this stuff. I feel like, you know, you know, it's, it's embarrassing, and I, and I don't want to say nothing to you, and, and, you know, I'll feel funny, and things will be weird. And I go, no, man, it's okay. And he goes, yeah, but you're like my brother, man, and my best friend, and I, I feel like, you know, it's weird. <laughs> I mean, that's how we treat each other, you know. We love each other, and we're like, you know. So he's like, I just don't know how to say it. And finally, I'm like, you know, after about 20 minutes, I'm like, Tim. Just tell me, Kathy Willis says you smell funny. And I go, well, I go, it's probably my shirt. I go, that shirt's been in storage for like nine years. It didn't even fit me properly. I just thought it would be a cool shirt to wear. But that's, that's been tucked away in mothballs and stuff in my storage. Unit. And he's like, oh, oh thank, thank God. I didn't know how to tell you. And I go, no, it's not me. I'm I'm very hygienic. I'll brush my teeth. I, I wash. I shower and everything. It's the, But the shirt was pulled out of a box that's been sitting in storage for ages. Well, you look like Mr. Fantastic in here. It was cool. But she's, and then the, the work shirt I wore above it, 
was my Crystal Water shirt, and I hadn't worn that. I mean, there there are old uniforms, so it was just sitting in, you know, uniforms that I was supposed to turn into Crystal Water, which I never did. I kept them, put them in storage so I could use them in the movie. And that shirt had a funky smell to it. So Mike Ornelas, the producer, was like, go to that again. But anyway, finally, so that's the reference I had for when, when Tim was trying to tell me something. So now I'm trying to tell him something about the script, and I go, Tim, buddy, I said, I'm sorry. I just don't like the script, man. He goes, that's okay. I didn't like it either. And I go, I said, someone else can play Dan Hansen, and I, I'm just not interested, man. But why don't you just get another actor? I don't care. And he's, no, I really don't like it either. I don't want to do it either, but you got to convince Scott. And Scott Tepperman from Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, Ghost Hunters International, he, um, he, he's the one that got the whole ball rolling. He really wanted to do this. He called me and Tim and goes, I want to do a Truth Air movie. And, and Tim goes, well, okay. And he wrote it because I really want Joel in it because he wasn't in part four. And it was really cool of Scott to get this whole thing started. And he's really cool about telling us, hey, I want you guys, you know, I want you to do it. I want you to be in it. So Scott called me one day, and I think I was waiting to pick up Kathy in downtown Tampa. And um, he called me up and he goes, Tim says he did something like this. Um, Tim says he didn't like the script. And I go, yeah, man. I go, but that's okay. Just get somebody else to play Dan Hess. I just don't want to do it. Plus, I got other movies I'm working on right now anyway. He's like, no, 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 I want you in it. I want you to be in this movie. If you're not in the movie, then there's not a movie. And I go, well, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, Scott. I don't care. Get get another actor to play Dan Hess. It doesn't matter to me. Everything's cool. Get somebody else. And he's like, no, man. He goes, what do you want? And I go, well, if it was up to me, I'd want a script like Screaming for Sanity because I really like Screaming for Sanity because I got to you know, play, play, play Dan Hess to the hilt. I got to be like the hero fighting the bad guys and, you know, trying to save people and, you know, and just doing the whole thing I want to do. And um, he's like, okay, I'm going to call Tim. And I go, but really, Scott, I just, I don't want to do it. He goes, please, take the weekend to think about it. And I go, okay. And then I think, I think Tuesday, Tim called me and he goes, look, Scott really wants to do this movie, man. And I'm like, I know. And he goes, well, I wrote a new script, so just look at it. And the second, the second take of the script he sent me was really cool. And I really liked it a lot. And um, then I told Scott, I said, okay, I really like this script. This will be cool. And it took a while to get done because, you know, I think Scott sometimes is doing, he was busy doing conventions. So the, the shoot got put off. You know, he's supposed to be in Kentucky to do something. And he couldn't get there because, you know, it got put off. I think one time down in um, Tampa here, he was going to come back. That got put off, stuff up by him because he's busy. You're doing other things. So I think it took almost three years to come out, maybe around then, I think. But it's finally, you know, oh. like, like Tim and I always say, it's the end game. It's finally out. It's done. It's out there. Um, so, you know, people can, you know, actually check it out now. To, uh, Truth or Air 5 is out where people can see it and it's become part of the, you know, the Truth or Air legacy, I guess, as you could say. And uh, hopefully people, yeah, you know, like it. Um, I think – Technically, my my favorite is still Screaming for Sanity, even though Five's out. I, I like Screaming for Sanity better, and uh, but Five is still cool. It's still fun and everything. Um, but but to me, I think I like Screaming for Sanity better. It was, one, it was always one of my favorites, so it, it would always be hard to beat. Yeah, I I think it's really great that you guys were able to do this anthology. Yeah, I mean yeah, because you go and then. 
the, the, the script he wrote me was so cool that I said, you know, I, I think this is a little, I probably could have done it, but we are just, well, I am shooting straight two days, Saturday and Sunday we're shooting this thing. I want to be done by Sunday night. I don't like things to drag on. And I'm always one, I'll get a cameraman or, you know, a director. Well, why don't we try? And I'll just be like, no, dude, move on. Let's go. Well, it's not lit. It's not shown. I don't care. Move on. Um, I want it to be cool. But I'm not trying to make freaking Independence Day. One time I had a, I was working with a, uh, uh, an editor, John Matheny, and we're at his house and, and bless him because he was so cool to me. I'm, I'm trying to put together uh, Always Midnight for Phil Herman, and we're working there on his editing board. And I would keep stopping him, saying, "John, you gotta do what I say, man." And he'd be like, "No, I'm trying to make it very good." And I, I finally broke down and told him, "I go, John, listen to me, dude." You're trying to make Gone with the Wind. I want to make Gone of the Dead. Do what I say. <laughs> he's got it. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, I see what you mean. Because, like, all these things you're trying to do for these cheap little horror movies, and you're trying to do all this, and the director's like this, and, and you got the writer there or whatever, and they're trying to do all these great things. And, and to me, I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make, a, a, you know, freaking Independence Day here. I just want to make a little movie that flows <laughs> Later down the line, if somebody wants to give me a whole bunch of money to really break the script down and do it that way, then I guess I'll do it. But right now, at this point, you know, I want to try and take care of my actors and get all my actors paid. But because it's for me, I'm not getting anything. I'm just getting the, you know, it's going to be put together. I'll put it on the DVD, and then I'll sell it at shows or my website and stuff like that. Um, that's how I get, get mine out of it because it's, it's my production. So I'm, it's not like... If I'm working for somebody, then, yeah, they're just paying me to act, you know, so just depending what it is. But but for this, you know, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time, yeah, and then people go, well, don't you want to make it look good? And I go, yeah, I don't want to make a piece of crap. I want to make it look good, but I'm not going to spend nine hours to light a room that a scene's going to take place, and it's going to last one minute on camera. No, <laughs> nobody nobody cares I, that I, I would have to agree with that, too, <laughs> because... Honestly, I've seen some of your work, and it's actually really Joe, I've been stalking you all afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, no, the, the stuff that you do, and the thing is, is what has kept you in this business is the fact that you're smart. And you oh, know what to do. I don't know about this, do. I would have got out of it a long time ago. <laughs> oh, no, because I read... In an interview, you said you you were thinking about getting out of it a long time ago, but a person sees you on the streets and says, oh, "You're Jolie Winecoop. I seen you in this movie," and you and you love that, and that's what keeps you going, and that means that the fans keep you going. You know what? I think that's so cool that you that you say that because really that it does because. I sometimes I'm like, oh God, why am I doing this when there just doesn't seem to be anybody, you know, that's really like, yeah, cool or whatever. And then those days, it's like you say, and then I'll be on my Facebook or something, and someone will write me and go, hey man, I just want to let you know I really love you in Dirty Cop, no doing it. Or they're like, you know, you were awesome in Creep, I love that movie. And I just, um, again, another experience which was which was neat. My, Kathy and I were at a McDonald's. And we're waiting to get our order, and we're waiting to go into Bush Garden Tallow Scream because we always work that too in, in um, Bush Gardens here in Tampa. And we're waiting in line, you know, waiting to get our order. And 
I can see this guy. He keeps looking at me, and and I'm starting to look at Kathy like this. This guy, I think he recognizes from from Hollow Scream or something because he keeps looking at me. And all of a sudden he goes, "Are you in a movie called Dirty Cop No Donut?" And I'm like, "Um, it depends if you like it or not." And he goes, "Oh, it's my favorite movie. I love that movie." And I go, "Yeah, I'm sure I like it." I knew it was you. And he's he's really loud, and everybody in McDonald's he goes, "I knew it's a Dirty Cop No Donut here." And he's like, can you keep wow, going? Wow, like, like, Yeah, so those times, when you hear back from that, and when I'm thinking, oh, everybody hates my acting, they think I suck or something, I, I bump into somebody that I don't know that says, oh, man, I, you know, I loved you in Dirty Count, No Donut. Or, so there was a guy in the mall long ago in West Palm Beach. I walked into Suncoast Motion Pictures. It had my, my picture was on my shirt, and it said creep above it. And I walked in, he looks down at my shirt, and he goes, Creep, that's my favorite movie. And he looks up and he goes, you know, you're the creep. And then he went out into the mall and he started yelling, everybody, the creep's in my store. Come on, see the creep. So those moments, wow. you know, those are awesome. I, I'd rather have moments where I walk in and people just said, here's a $1,000. I mean you. That'd be even better. But <laughs> it's pretty cool to get recognized in these movies. And then, yeah, that makes me think, you know, well, shit, maybe I won't stop making movies. Maybe I'll make some more. Maybe I'll make another movie. So that's kind of how I look at it. And I hope one, one day, sooner or later, this stuff will, you know, pay off bigger than it is already, you know. I hope. Well, the, the thing is, oh, wait, oh, wait, Honey Boo Boo's, uh, Honey Boo Boo's, uh, hold on. Daddy, baby, I'm Honey Boo Boo. You better wear this now. Your phone's ringing. Brother. Uh, we yeah, have Edward X. Young, co-host. Sorry, sorry, I had to show up late. I got tied up with some stuff, but I, I'm here now. There you yeah, go. Yeah, Edward, we're having a great conversation. Have you heard what we've been talking about? I've only been on for a few minutes. Uh, give me okay. some enlightenment. Yeah, we like were, we here. were talking about how it, you know Joel. He kind of gets a. A little frustrated, but he didn't think he'd make a career out of this and how much he loves it when the fans recognize him. And I think that's really important, you know. I think that's a great thing to have. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, look, this is a not an easy – there are easier ways to make money. This is not an easy business to be in this art, and it is a business. But uh, yeah. uh, I'll tell you – Getting recognized is what kept me in it. I, I I think I was I think I was catching the tail end of the story, and I have a similar story. I uh, I mean, you know, maybe I, I think I'm a pretty damn good actor. I've done a lot of these horror movies, but you know, I didn't start acting professionally until 2005, not that long ago, 13 years ago. But it started when I was younger, when I should have done it. Maybe I would have been in Hollywood with an Oscar or something, but. Uh, but uh, it's it's been tough in middle age to start acting in these indie horror movies. But after I was doing it for a few years, I was actually uh, I started in about 2005. But four five, four years into it, by 2009, I was ready to give it all up. I was going to throw it away. I figured I haven't doing this four years. This is crazy. I've lost all my savings and you know all my security. I've got no medical insurance. And I actually made a decision that I was going to leave the New York area, move back to New England, just try to get some job and get benefits and decent income, just fade away, just you know, grow old and at least have some security. And I and I, I wrestled with this, and I figured, uh, you know, if only I had signs, some sign from from God.
God. I, I, I mean, what I'm doing is wrong. These are like nasty, vicious horror movies. And I was really praying for some kind of message. That's like a direction of my life. I, was, I, I even called a friend of mine in New Hampshire who had recently been divorced. And, he said, and, I, and I was divorced, too. And he said, hey, look, uh, you know, I'll let you move in with me. You know, I got this whole house now. The wife took off, left me with the house. Of the kids, but but I was sitting. It was like one o'clock in the morning. I was sitting in a parkway, in the Garden State Parkway in New Jersey, a major highway, a red stop, just a rest stop where you get gas and get a Burger King in there. It was like the middle of the night, and I'm, I get a hamburger and a coffee, and I'm I'm sitting there, and a lot of these empty chairs uh, and, and empty tables. But in the middle of this rest stop on the parkway, there's, these weren't kids. This was like a middle-aged couple. And they came in, they're looking at me, and I'm like, uh-oh, there's like nobody in this place. Uh-huh. And they're, like, they're talking, I tell they're talking about me. And I'm thinking, oh, they're in some kind of a cult, they're moonies or something, I don't know. Because when they started walking towards me, I'm like, oh, no, they're going to evangelize or ask me for, some, for a donation or some kind of con job. And I, I just let my head sink lower and lower. I've got like one cheeseburger from Burger King and a coffee. And as they got near me, uh, the, the the gentleman spoke up, and he goes, I hope you don't mind us interrupting your meal, sir. And I'm like, yeah, hardly a meal. <laughs> and he goes, well, my wife and I were just talking. We saw you when we came in here. We just came in here to get a break. We're taking a trip to Pennsylvania. You're an actor, aren't you? <laughs> and I'm like, well, like, what? They're like, well, we recognize you. You're an actor. And I and I'm thinking I and I I already like you know I've been doing this and not making any kind of real money for like four years and like gave up everything and then a lot of, some of the movies that were good but a lot of them are real crap and and I said and I I looked at them and said look you know I may have a very recognizable face I said I believe it or not and I just come back from an audition that I didn't get the part I had my briefcase with me with the eight by tens my who's left at my side I said believe me you know you actually pegged. Right, I am an actor. I act in, I act, but, but you, you know, you, you're mistaking me for somebody else. I'm, I'm not a famous actor. I, I, I'm sure you've never seen anything I've done because I don't think I make the, the movies you people watch. There was, they were like a, a couple in their late fifties, early sixties. These were like kids, and they said, "Oh, really? Well, you know, we we were certain we 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 have this movie at home, and you're in it, you." You play like a zombie priest. <laughs> I'm like, what? Go, yeah, you're like, a, you're like a zombie priest. And it's in this, and it's Halloween, it's this video stores and all that. And then that was the movie I was in. I was like, you, you actually, you, you, you saw that movie? Like, yeah, we own it. Like, you own it? Yeah. We were, and you remember me? Well, you were great. You were like really creepy. And we said, look, that's the guy that played the priest in that movie. You know? And I was like, okay. And and and, uh, and then and then uh, the, the, they said that they really enjoyed my work, and I introduced myself. They weren't sure what my name was, and they said, "Oh, we you don't have any photos on you, do you?" And I said, "Well, well, actually, I I have. I just came back from an audition. I got these eight by tens here, these uh, these headshots." And they were like, "Oh, how much would how much would we have to pay you to, to get get an autographed eight by ten? And I said, "Pay me." I said, "Look, you you." You want two of them for free? I said, you like, I said, look, I'll, I'll, as a gift, I'll give them to you. And uh, well, they were, they were, they, 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 their names are Randy and Liz. 
Bartha, and we traded information. I've, I've remained friends with him to this day. We always meet up at conventions. I see to it that they get a copy of all my DVDs. They often insist on paying me for them. But, but you know, there are people out there who are actually seeing our work, and, and they are enjoying it. And we, we mean something to them. And, I, and occasionally, since then, I've, I've gotten occasional fan letters. I've been recognized other times. But it does not. It, and then it gets beyond a job. It's, it's not really just a business because it's like some strange calling. You know, it's a... It's, maybe it's like a drug, but you know, it's like now, now I wouldn't give it up. I've I even had opportunities where I thought I could give it up and make more money doing something else. But now, I think at my age now, I'm stuck making these independent little horror movies for the rest of my life. Yeah, I know the feeling. Are you, are you there? Yeah, yeah everybody's here. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you're able to hear me, right? I didn't go breaking up in the middle of that monologue, did I? No, no, you didn't break up. No, uh, I, I got to tell you, because these are, can you guys hear me? Yes, yes. yes. Okay, good. Because I think these are two great stories. I mean, these these are these are you both are not like actors that you sign on to a flick and you're going to make twenty million dollars. You know, you're doing this for the love of the craft. Yeah, maybe, well, I maybe a few thousand on a picture, but I'm never going to be making millions on any pictures. I fear. <laughs> you know. I do it for the love of the craft, yes, and I really, and I really, I, I can't, ex, I can't explain whatever my weird psychological need is. I really love independent horror movies, the real, the stuff that really pushes the envelope, the really nasty stuff, uh, the, the kind, uh, the kind of stuff that Hollywood wouldn't dare do. You'll, you'll love my new picture too. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if the midget John Link is on the phone, but the new movie we're doing is going to be the nastiest thing I've ever done. I'm in a picture hey, called. Hey, uh, let's say if I was an X-rated movie star, and uh, no, <laughs> I'm kidding. We'll we'll save that one for the next show. Maybe Edward, we'll 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 get you and John Link definitely as the uh, guests again. But right now it's all about Toldy Winecoop. Toldy Winecoop, you can make a round kick at least eight feet. Am I right? <laughs> Well, I I don't know if that's that one picture, but I looked at it, my wife looked at it, and she goes, damn, baby, for an old guy, you still got it. But that was a kick. I threw that kick was, um, or I don't know if it's the front kick you're talking about, but it's one I was at uh, the uh, Daytona Comic Book Convention, and I was a guest there, and along with Bill Black, and he was outside, and we just shot a scene for one of his movies. And I don't know why, but I threw that kick, and you can see my foot is up over my head. I was kind of amazed at that myself. (laughs) Uh, did you take martial arts at one time? Yes. Oh, yeah. Professional um, martial artist. Yeah, back in, um, so it was while my dad was still alive, so it was like 1980, because um, I was always like, you know, old karate, there's always a way around it. And then my nephew got me to go to, I'm pretty sure this is right, it was to um, 
Good Guys Wear Black, and that was my introduction to Chuck Norris, and I thought it was amazing. And then he introduced me to, I think it was a guy named Marty was first teaching us, but then we met Richard Wingate, who became my instructor, and then I kickboxed with him, and then uh, he actually started bringing other people in that I had already worked with him. Um, but I used to go to other schools, fight other guys, and a lot of times I would win, and the other instructor would say, is he a black belt? And Richard would go, no, he's a white belt. So then Richard ranked me, and I went through all my belts, and I ended up black belt in um, 1983 or 84. And then, um, but then I moved out of the area, so I lost touch with Richard. And then, uh, so Richard never got to see, like, I don't even know if you've ever seen Lost Faith, but I, I never got to see him once I moved from the Palm Beach area. And then, uh, and then, and then the first time I really used it, I used it a little bit in Killing And then I wrote, you know, that's when I wrote Lost Faith. And that was all about me saving the women on the island and fighting all the bad guys. And um, so, yeah, I still do it now, but I'm not in shape now like I was then. I always tell people now, I go, if I got in a fight with you, dude, I'd have to kill you in like 10 seconds because I'm not going to run around the ring and <laughs> go with you because uh, my endurance isn't up. I, 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 you know, I know that. I'd have to drop the weight and get back in the, you know, because I, when I used to fight, you have to be out there for three minutes. And you would well, so, you would well, but no, I like doing both. It's, it's not just a martial arts. It's not just a martial arts. It's what, the what type of martial arts? What type of martial arts did you study? Uh, taekwondo, a little tang sudo. Just the only reason was because it's what Chuck Norris took. Um, a tad of Yoshikai because my nephew uh, was going to uh, take Yoshikai. But mine was mainly um, Taekwondo and kickboxing. Yeah, I, t- I took Judo I for five years. Taekwondo, man. That is a lot of discipline. I did American Karate. Okay, yeah, or Karate. Yeah, I did American well, Karate. Taekwondo. Oh, my gosh, that is a lot of discipline. Like, your hands have to be at – I did a couple of classes at Taekwondo, and I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> so that is a lot of discipline. Well, they're, they're, I mean, they're all a lot of discipline, also depending on what kind of master you have, because there's a lot that they'll walk around with that damn stick and they'll hit you. And <laughs> actually, I saw uh, – um, I don't know if he's a master, but he was – the guy on a shoot, and he was doing it to the main actor. And then actor doesn't know anything about the martial arts. All we're trying to do, and not even me, it's the other guy, Marcus, the director. Um, he's trying to direct a scene where the instructor is, you know, doing his thing. And uh, he whipped out his stick, and he went over and cracked the actor on the hand. And I basically told him, I go, hey, man, this isn't your class right now. We're, we're making a movie. And he got really volatile about it and later he came to me and he goes what style is that and I told him Taekwondo and he goes why don't you go suck my balls and he was just really <laughs> ignorant and nasty and and I can't stand that so I, I would go up to him later in the day and I go hey man uh, I respect you why don't you respect me you do Taekwondo suck my balls suck my balls and I go why do you keep saying that you know why do you, don't you see that little girl over there what is your what is your problem and it ended up we finally squared off in the middle, and his whole class surrounded me, and all the actors surrounded us. And I thought, dude, I don't care, make your move. I am not backing down to you. And I just finally, I just crossed my arms at him, and then he just kind of walked away from me. 
And at the end of the shoot, when he was leaving, I was outside doing my scene. He finally got done with his, and I still couldn't help it. I yelled to him. I go, hey, man. And he looks at me, and I go, good working with you today. And he just kind of slapped his hand, you know, from, I don't know, from a, a way far, a block away distance. He's, like, waving his hand and like, and all like that. And I'm thinking, why were you so <laughs> arrogant? It's because I do a different style than you that you want to you wanna fight me for it? I mean, that's just... You want to fight me? You make the, you take the first swing, man. That's fine with me. But why? You, that's like going to the gas station to pump your gas, and you're 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 walking into the building, and someone comes out and goes, "You're an asshole, sir. Why well, am I an asshole? Because you're wearing the green shirt." What? What's and yet, Josie Weinstein has met another fan at Edward X Young's Burger King. Oh yeah. By the way, okay, it was a bad joke. Is, is, the, is, the midget, is the midget on the phone? On the line with us? Uh, John, Link. John Link had a lot of traffic in the background, so I'm sorry, John Link. I know you're listening, but we, we did have to mute John Link. He had a lot of traffic in the uh, background. I blamed it on Joel D. Weinkoop at the beginning. I said, your phone has got a lot of background noise. And he's like, no, not my phone. You know, the last, so, the last month. Suddenly, we're month, sorry. The last munchkin died this week. He was 98 years old. So now that means John Link is now the most famous midget in show business. Now, Joel, here's a question I have for you, because you do do a lot, and I said do-do. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that was a child. Okay, um, you both do a lot of horror movies. Do you guys believe in ghosts and goblins and things that might go bump in the night? Um, that's, a, that's an excellent question. I'll let Joel answer first. Sorry, I was just saying, um, yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of activity like that. I videoed, I got one on um, film in one of the movies I did for John Martin, and it's unexplained. And then we've had a bunch of stuff here happen at our house that's just, you know, with things moving and um, like what they call shadow people. And, um, you know, the weird uh, stuff like that. No, nothing nothing that's terrorizing or anything like that. So I can't say that. I know when we were shooting at the Cuban Club, that was probably the biggest one. That was in Ebor and, um, here in Tampa. And the uh, Cuban Club is, is supposedly haunted. The ghost, ghost hunters have been there, and a lot of paranormal um, people have been there. And the one day we were shooting there, we, we walked in with our cameras fully, completely charged. Kathy said, we weren't even there five minutes putting everything down on the bar on the bottom floor. And Kathy goes, baby, the batteries are all dead. And I go, what do you mean they're all dead? We came here with full batteries. None of them are full anymore. The extra one and the one in your camera is drained completely. And I go, well, that's weird. And then one girl was like, who's that up in the top window? And then I looked, and, she, and it was nothing was there. And she goes, there was a lady up there in white. And the guy told us, he goes, yeah, she's a lady that died here in, the I think, the 40s or something. And she's still in this place. And then wow. um, he took us into the, the back room behind the stage, and he started bringing us down the stairs. And I go, dude, that's enough for me. There's something here that's saying get the fuck out. So I went back up the stairs, and I said, I don't need to see anymore, man. And then Kathy was upstairs. 
when the day we ended our shoot, we were the last stuff we shot was upstairs, and this is where caught the thing on one of my actors' faces. We're on the the third floor of the Cuban Club or the top floor, so no lights being reflected in from anywhere because there's nothing to reflect from, and because um, we're above all the buildings, and I didn't see it till later. This little, if you want to call it an orb or whatever, but it was circular and it was blue. And it moved across the front of the camera and across the actor's faces. Or I think it started on Anthony Wayne's face. It just lit up on his face, and then it slowly moved out of the scene. And I checked because I said, is that just on my copy? But it actually, the, the parts that got edited by John Martin for Not of This World, it's in there. You can see it. Because I told him about it, and he goes, what is that? What did you do anyway? I go, John, it's nothing we do. We don't know what that is. And then when Kathy was upstairs, uh, they were putting all the props together, and I had a. This is why I hate to produce because I brought three boxes of clothes and weapons and stuff people were supposed to be wearing, and I told them to dig to the. But while they were getting everything in there, Kathy and Ken Anthony and I think Billy Badass were up there together getting ready, and they heard the most demonic growl come from the back of the Cuban Club on the third floor, back behind the where the stage was. And she just looked at Ken, and, and Ken looked at her, and he just goes, let's get the fuck out of here. And they just load, they shoved everything in the elevator and hit the down button and got out of there. And then she told me about it later, and I go, yeah, well, that just sounds about right for this kind of place. I mean, and then we've got stuff here. But that the Cuban club thing was, you know, you hear that from everybody that goes there, that one guy, I guess he was, the mob was there wow. or something, and the manager was paying somebody off or he was pocketing some of the money from the people that brought her into the Cuban club. And the mob came in there and they just whipped the gun out and shot him in the head and, and he died in the Cuban club. And they say his ghost is still there. And it's all back to like, kind of like gangster days, I guess. Wow. But if you look, you know, scariest places or whatever, you'll see the uh, Cuban club in Ebor. That's my yeah, wonder about. Yeah. Wow. I, I used to be I used to be a total skeptic and believe in nothing, but uh, but then uh, after my first marriage, the first wife that my wife and I lived in was uh, was filled with a very hostile, threatening poltergeist activity. I mean, wow. uh, I'd, I'd, I should probably tell the story in a separate episode because a lot. I mean, I, I mean. A lot of seriously creepy shit that can't be explained in any normal way was happening in this house, and it got so terrifying that we just decided to vacate the place, leave our stuff behind, and we decided we're only going to come back here in the daytime to move stuff out. But we're we're never spending a night in this house. But I mean, I'm talking about furniture being moved from one side of the room to the other, appliances turning themselves off, uh, like millions, millions of insects that would appear and then disappear. Voices in the walls. I mean, uh, it, it didn't happen all at once. It was gradual, but near the end, it got really fucking freaky. And we heard the voices in the walls. I said, "We've we've got to leave this house." And it was a very malevolent feeling too. It was like something evil was in this place. I uh, have my theories too, but but also, and then I've encountered ghosts and other experiences. Actually, like what Joel was saying. What's ironic is I did a, a horror comedy. I'll just mail you the DVD, Francie. John Arecchio shot it, who shot my Bigfoot movie, who wrote and directed Bigfoot Blood Trap. We were doing a spoof, a, a comedy horror spoof, on the Ghost Hunters TV series 
called Ghost Blunders. And and we what we did was we actually shot in one of the locations that the ghost hunters used in their series, a place called the Sun Inn in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And oh, yeah. It was one of those old hotels where, you know, George Washington and John Adams had slept there. It's been around since the Revolutionary Era, notoriously haunted, allegedly. And um, while we were shooting this, and, you know, it, it's a museum during the day, so we shot it from the time it closed until the time it opened in the morning. So we were there all night for the shoot. And, and we experienced some disturbing ghostly activity there, including the director wanted to shoot in one of the rooms on the floor. John Riccio had a scene he wanted to shoot up there where there was a lot of authentic furniture from the from the 18th century. And uh, he sent a cameraman up and told him to set up the lights we're going to do because he, the scene was written. We were rehearsing it downstairs in the main lobby. And we were we were rehearsing the scene down there, and he trusted the cameraman to go up there and set up the camera and the lights. And at one point, the cameraman came running downstairs, and we were all in the And he looked around. He he's like like counting with his eyes. He goes, "You're you're all here. Every one of you's here." We're like, "Yeah, yeah, we're all here." No, nobody's upstairs, right? And the, the museum was closed. We were essentially locked in. We didn't want public coming in. So all the doors were bolted. So we were we were essentially prisoners in the in the place. I mean, the doors were locked. The curator, who was also an actor, wanted a chance to have Bucky, who I've worked with. He wanted to act in our show, and he, he had the doors locked. Nobody was in the place, but the cameraman said, uh-oh, I'm not going back up to that room. And, and he said he was setting up the lights and the camera. And uh, while he was doing this, at one point, he said it wasn't light. It wasn't something I mistook. I Something like a human hand slapped me really hard right in the middle of the back. And he goes, I turned around, and there was nobody there. And I came running downstairs, and you're all here. Every one of you is here. And we're like, yeah. And he goes, I'm not going back in that room. And then the curator said, what room were you in? And the director said he, he had chosen to look good. He liked the furniture. And then the curator, Bucky, said, oh, well, I'm not surprised. That's the most haunted room in the whole hotel. That's <laughs> so so we'd like, and and not only that, uh, Jay Stoddard, who they she was she wasn't working on this project, but she was one of the curators at the Sun Inn, and she's a terrific makeup artist and an actress. Now we've worked together on a bunch of projects, including Bigfoot Blood Trap, which she's in that. But we, uh, I was with her once when we were at the Sun Inn, simply because there was a festival going on in Bethlehem, and. Uh, and she was the one, she was giving tours, and I helped her. I, I'm, I'm an actor, so I gave some of the tours. I knew the history of the place. And uh, when it was all over, the public was all issued out, and we had the place, we were locking the place up. And to get down, it was in several floors, but to get down to where the cars were parked, the lower area, it was the parking lot, you had to either walk down these original stone stairs or take the elevator, which had been installed in the building for the sake of, you know, having the elevator in the building. But I was still recovering from my car accident that our damn near got killed in. And she said, let's go. And she was going to take the stairs. And I said, uh, you know, I think I'll, I think I'll just take the elevator. My back still hurt me really bad from the accident. And upon saying that the elevator, which was behind us, the door just opened. Now nobody pushed the button. It was just the two of us. It's a building. You had to push the button to make the elevator work. 
the other thing like opened on its own, like like well the come on in. And I looked at the elevator and she said, I think the ghost wants you to use the elevator. I'm like, I'm, I'm not getting in that fucking elevator. <laughs> and uh, and so I took the stairs. That was the last time I was in the sun in, but there were there were ghosts in that place. And also when we were when we were shooting ghost blunders, although we were trying to have a good time, uh, even the whole cast admitted that one of the scenes that the director wanted to shoot in the basement where they actually had the kitchen there was a part in that room where it just seemed unnaturally cold, and all of us got really bad vibes. We weren't speaking about it. Somebody finally spoke up. I, I don't feel comfortable shooting in the basement, in that one corner. And we all, so with you too, we all kind of admitted, like, when we were down there scouting the place out, there was a corner of the basement which just, it just filled you with dread that you, we just weren't supposed to be there. And, and pretty much everybody acknowledged well, I didn't want to feel like that. I'd come across like some pussy, so I didn't mention it. But now that you do mention it, I was down there, and I was, like, really uncomfortable in that part of the basement. I, 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 I wanted to get out of there. I didn't want to go back. I was afraid to look behind me. And, and then, of course, then Bucky said, oh, yeah, there's, there's something there's something uh, negative down there. <laughs> because a lot of people sense this. So uh, the point is, and I'd like to tell you my personal haunted house story of the show with the really creepy, scary shit. But the thing is, I, I, I used to never believe in this stuff, but in recent years I've come to believe in them. Yes, there's supernatural forces, ghosts, hauntings. I'm not sure. If I, I try to find a way to explain this, uh, but you can't. <laughs> like if you saw in the news recently, they can't explain this UFO that they caught on video that is a really some really dramatic UFO, UFO footage that some uh, uh, Navy pilots caught, and they released it to the public. And it, it's like they can't explain it. I can't explain my ghost experiences. So now I've changed my views. And the message is, don't play with Ouija boards. <laughs> They're probably not safe. You don't play with Ouija boards, do you, Francie? Is anybody there? I'm not hearing anything. Have I gone into the, the, the dark realm or something? Oh, hello? Pronto. So, suddenly I can't hear anything. Have I lost my connection? Hi there. Is anybody still there? Uh, I'll listen. off in the middle of my story. I'll find out listening to the archive recordings. Yeah, I think we're off. I'm sorry because... I showed up so late, Francie. I got tied up with some business. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. 
at least I was here, but uh, gee, uh, well, I'll have to tell my personal haunting story another time. Yeah, it, it looks like we are cut off. Oh, damn. Well, did uh, did John Link have a chance to 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 uh, contribute anything colorful or interesting when he was on? No, no, no. I can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me, Fancy? I can hear you, John. Yeah, well, I got muted. And, you know, I was in a, in, a, in a bus terminal waiting for my mentally retarded brother, brother to pick me up. <clears throat> now he's whacking me. I'm in the, I'm in the truck now. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.